Section 10 of Evangeline by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Part the Second, Section 5. In that delightful land which is washed by the Delaware's waters, guarding in sylvan shades the name of Penn the Apostle, stands on the banks of its beautiful stream the city he founded. There all the air is balm, and the peach is the emblem of beauty, and the streets still re-echo the names of the trees of the forest, as if they fain would appease the dryads whose haunts they molested. There from the troubled sea had Evangeline landed, an exile, finding among the children of Penn a home and a country. There old René Leblanc had died, and when he departed saw at his side only one of all his hundred descendants. Something at least there was in the friendly streets of the city, something that spake to her heart, and made her no longer a stranger, and her ear was pleased with the thee and thou of the Quakers, for it recalled the past, the old Acadian country, where all men were equal and all were brothers and sisters. So when the fruitless search, the disappointed endeavor ended, to recommence no more upon earth, uncomplaining, thither as leaves to the light, were turned her thoughts and her footsteps. As from a mountain's top the rainy mists of the morning roll away, and afar we behold the landscape below us, sun illumined with shining rivers and cities and hamlets, so fell the mists from her mind, and she saw the world far below her, dark no longer, but all illumined with love, and the pathway which she had climbed so far lying smooth and fair in the distance. Gabrielle was not forgotten. Within her heart was his image, clothed in the beauty of love and youth, as last she beheld him, only more beautiful made by his death-like silence and absence. Into her thoughts of him time entered not, for it was not. Over him years had no power. He was not changed, but transfigured. He had become to her heart as one who is dead, and not absent. Patience and abnegation of self, and devotion to others, this was the lesson a life of trial and sorrow had taught her. So was her love diffused, but like to some odorous spices, suffer no waste nor loss, though filling the air with aroma. Other hope had she none, nor wish in life, but to follow meekly with reverent steps the sacred feet of her Saviour. Thus many years she lived as a sister of mercy, frequenting lonely and wretched roofs in the crowded lanes of the city, where distress and want concealed themselves from the sunlight, where disease and sorrow in garrets languished neglected. Night after night, when the world was asleep, as the watchmen repeated loud through the gusty streets that all was well in the city, high at some lonely window he saw the light of her taper. Day after day, in the gray of the dawn, as slow through the suburbs plodded the German farmer 
with flowers and fruits for the market, met he that meek, pale face returning home from its watchings. Then it came to pass that a pestilence fell on the city, presaged by wondrous signs, and mostly by flocks of wild pigeons darkening the sun in their flight, with naught in their craws but an acorn. And as the tides of the sea arise in the month of September, flooding some silver stream till it spreads to a lake in the meadow, so death flooded life, and o'erflowing its natural margin spread to a brackish lake, the silver stream of existence. Wealth had no power to bribe, nor beauty to charm the oppressor, but all perished alike beneath the scourge of his anger. Only, alas, the poor, who had neither friends nor attendants, crept away to die in the almshouse, home of the homeless. Then in the suburbs it stood, in the midst of meadows and woodlands. Now the city surrounds it, but still with its gateway and wicket meek. In the midst of splendor, its humble walls seem to echo softly the words of the Lord, The poor ye always have with you. Thither by night and by day came the sister of mercy. The dying looked up into her face, and thought indeed to behold there gleams of celestial light encircle her forehead with splendor, such as the artist paints o'er the brows of saints and apostles, or such as hangs by night o'er a city seen at a distance. Unto their eyes it seemed the lamps of the city celestial, into whose shining gates ere long their spirits would enter. Thus on a Sabbath morn, through the streets deserted and silent, wending her quiet way, she entered the door of the almshouse. Sweet on the summer air was the odor of flowers in the garden, and she paused on her way to gather the fairest among them, that the dying once more might rejoice in their fragrance and beauty. Then as she mounted the stairs to the corridors, cooled by the east wind, distant and soft on her ear fell the chimes from the belfry of Christ Church, while intermingled with these across the meadows were wafted sounds of psalms that were sung by the Swedes in their church at Wicaco. Soft as descending wings fell the calm of the hour on her spirit. Something within her said, at length thy trials are ended. And with light in her looks she entered the chambers of sickness, noiselessly moved about the assiduous, careful attendants, moistening the feverish lip and the aching brow, and in silence closing the sightless eyes of the dead and concealing their faces, where on their pallets they lay, like drifts of snow by the roadside. Many a languid head, upraised as Evangeline entered, turned on its pillow of pain to gaze while she passed, for her presence fell on their hearts like a ray of sun on the walls of a prison. And as she looked around she saw how death, the consoler, laying his hand upon many a heart, had healed it forever. Many familiar forms had disappeared in the night-time. Vacant their places were or filled already by strangers. 
Suddenly, as if arrested by fear or a feeling of wonder, still she stood, with her colorless lips apart, while a shudder ran through her frame, and forgotten the flowerets dropped from her fingers, and from her eyes and cheeks the light and bloom of the morning. Then there escaped from her lips a cry of such terrible anguish that the dying heard it, and started up from their pillows. On the pallet before her was stretched the form of an old man. Long and thin and gray were the locks that shaded his temples. But as he lay in the morning light, his face for a moment seemed to assume once more the forms of its earlier manhood. So are wont to be changed the faces of those who are dying. Hot and red on his lips still burned the flush of the fever, as if life, like the Hebrew, with blood had besprinkled its portals, that the angel of death might see the sign and pass over. Motionless, senseless, dying he lay, and his spirit, exhausted, seemed to be sinking down through infinite depths in the darkness, darkness of slumber and death, forever sinking and sinking. Then through those realms of shade and multiplied reverberations heard he that cry of pain, and through the hush that succeeded whispered a gentle voice in accents tender and saint-like, Gabriel, oh, my beloved! And died away into silence. Then he beheld in a dream once more the home of his childhood, green Acadian meadows with sylvan rivers among them, village and mountain and woodlands, and walking under their shadow as in the days of her youth, Evangeline rose in his vision. Tears came into his eyes, and as slowly he lifted his eyelids, vanished the vision away. But Evangeline knelt by his bedside. Vainly he strove to whisper her name, for the accents unuttered died on his lips, and their motion revealed what his tongue would have spoken. Vainly he strove to rise, and Evangeline, kneeling beside him, kissed his dying lips and laid his head on her bosom. Sweet was the light of his eyes, but it suddenly sank into darkness as when a lamp is blown out by a gust of wind at a casement. All was ended now, the hope and the fear and the sorrow, all the aching of heart, the restless, unsatisfied longing, all the dull, deep pain and constant anguish of patience. And as she pressed once more the lifeless head to her bosom, meekly she bowed her own and murmured, Father, I thank thee. Still stands the forest primeval, but far away from its shadow, side by side, in their nameless graves, the lovers are sleeping. Under the humble walls of the little Catholic churchyard, in the heart of the city, they lie, unknown and unnoticed. Daily the tides of life go ebbing and flowing beside them, thousands of throbbing hearts, where theirs are at rest and forever, thousands of aching brains, where theirs no longer are busy, thousands of toiling hands, where theirs have ceased from their labors, 
thousands of weary feet, where theirs have completed their journey. Still stands the forest primeval, but under the shade of its branches dwells another race with other customs and language. Only along the shore of the mournful and misty Atlantic linger a few Acadian peasants, whose fathers from exile wandered back to their native land to die in its bosom. In the fisherman's cot the wheel and the loom are still busy. Maidens still wear their Norman caps and their kirtles of homespun, and by the evening fire repeat Evangeline's story. While from its rocky caverns the deep-voiced neighboring ocean speaks, and in accents disconsolate answers the wail of the forest. End of section 10, and also the end of Evangeline by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio.